So this is the weekend before the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration of his birthday and his life. And I am very well aware that for some of us, this may be a memory marker for others. It may be um, just the affirmation of what it is that we do on a daily basis. But I will say that King's birthday is not about the man as much as it is about first, the one whom he served. He was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a black Baptist preacher. And it is also a reminder of those who served with him whose names will never be mentioned. It is a reminder of those who serve now whose names will never be mentioned. And it is a call for us all to be a part of those who serve now and in the future for the sake of liberation. So we're going to look at this passage of scripture today. And for those of you who do not know me, though I am, yes, a black Baptist preacher. <laughs> and though I often read lengthy um, accounts of scripture, I don't want you to be nervous. I have to give this precursor. It is not an indication of how long my sermon will be. Amen. So breathe easy when you see the scripture just go on and on and you be like, oh, my Lord, how is she going to cover all of this? But let's talk a little bit about the lessons that we can see in this passage when it comes to the call to fight and live into liberation. Exodus 3 reads as follows. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. And the cry of the Israels has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this, my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. Is that all that's in there? Okay. <laughs> Praise God for access. The final passages read as follows. That's my human error. I did these slides. <laughs> the, the elders will listen to you. Let's go down. I want to go down to verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in our house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters and you will plunder the Egyptians. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, as we have already been invited to your table, we ask now that as we sit to eat, and that as this word has already been blessed, that you help us in our digestion, that you help us to receive as we need, all of us, myself alike, that we might be free and that we might be liberated because that is what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. When we see things that should be abiding by natural law not doing so, it raises the question as to whether or not something supernatural, whether or not God might be at work. So for example, you know, natural law says that trees grow from the ground and not from the sky or birds fly in the air and do not crawl on the ground. Mac and cheese is mouthwatering good. <laughs> and so if I sit at my mama or my auntie's table and the mac and cheese, no offense to those who eat box mac and cheese, is out of the box. For me, and from where I come from, I must ask, is God trying to tell me not to eat mac and cheese? <laughs> It's called imitation cheese for a reason. It's fake. <laughs> there are some things in this world that are natural and that if they are no longer abiding by natural law, we know that they are supernatural. But then there are other things in this world that are intended to be natural but that in our everyday occurrence seem more supernatural in nature. Comedian Kamal Ball, um, Bell, on his um, Netflix comedy series, talks about his little girl and how one of her favorite characters is um, Doc McStuffins. So Doc McStuffins, for those of you who may not know or who may not be you know, inundated with children who watch Disney every available moment that they have, is a little black girl on Disney. She's a cartoon character whose mom is a doctor. And so she imitates being 
her mother and she works on toys and stuffed animals that are sick and or broken. But what a lot of people may not know is that when Doc McStuffins was coming on pretty regularly, many of the commercials were also breaks in order to show children real live black women who are doctors. So much so that Kamal Bell says that his daughter had come to um, correlate being a doctor with being a black woman. And so when she walks into her doctor's office, expecting to see her doctor, and in walks a white man, she's a little disturbed. <laughs> and he says she brilliantly finds a way to let them know how uncomfortable she is by yawning very loudly and saying, oh, I'm so tired, mom and dad, I think I need to go home right now and take a nap. For her, it was very unnatural for her doctor not to be a black woman, but she is the exception. That for many black and brown boys and girls to see a black woman as a doctor as their norm would be seen as extraordinary, supernatural even. And so today we look at this passage that really flows between the natural and the supernatural. Moses born to an enslaved Hebrew woman, is raised by Pharaoh's daughter with a semblance of privilege, and once he comes of age, he sees a man who looks like him being beaten by an Egyptian soldier, and in a moment of uncultivated justice and rage, he lashes out and kills the soldier. He runs to the land of Midian, where he meets his wife, Zipporah, and when we come into our account today, we find that Moses is actually tending to the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro, who is a Midian priest. On this particular night, he moves past the wilderness. And as he moves past the wilderness, he sees a bush that is on fire. But as he looks more closely, it is not being consumed at all by the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been scared as I'll get out had I seen this. But no, not Moses. Moses is intrigued. Moses is inquisitive. And so Moses turns towards the bush and he's like, oh, I need to see. I guess he's talking to the sheep because nobody else is there with him. We need to see what's up with this bush. And so as he gets closer, he turns towards the bush. His attention is now on the bush, and God calls out to him, Moses, Moses, or in other words, deliverer, deliverer. How ironic that our call is usually already in us. It just needs to be awakened. Deliverer, deliverer, stop where you are. Don't come any further. Remove your shoes, for you are on holy ground. Moses, realizing that this is God, is afraid to look upon God because he has at least been taught enough to know that to look on the face of God was believed to be death. And so he is now afraid and hides his face, but he removes his shoes. God introduces God's self, and God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their pain and their oppression, and I'm going to send you to deliver them. Now just imagine for a moment, Moses, who was just a shepherd boy, right, who sees this bush, is now being told that he's about to go back to deliver people that he did not grow up around, but whom he saw enslaved his whole life. 
And so I can imagine he's like, who, me? Nah, nah, you got that wrong. He's like, how am I going to do that? And he says, how is it that these people are going to know who you are? So they have this conversation about this, and they reach an agreement or what appears to be agreement. And then God says to him, now when it's all said and done before y'all leave, I'm going to give you favor with the Egyptians. He says, I want you to go and I want you to ask for certain things. He says, and they're going to give them to you. And when you start this journey, you won't be empty handed. The call of liberation is one that takes courage. And I believe this passage of scripture as we stand on the eve of MLK holiday can give us some lessons on what it will mean to accept this call. And so I wanna just briefly step through three because that's what I do. I'm a black Baptist preacher, I do three points. It keeps me from preaching to the point when y'all wanna go eat, okay? And so the first lesson we find that I believe is in this passage around accepting the passion and the call to pursue liberation is that we learn how to ask the right question. We learn how to ask the right question. Now you all, Moses at birth had been abandoned. Now granted, he had been abandoned in order to save his life, but abandoned no less. He was raised in a home by people who were oppressing the people who looked like him, which means he's never really fully fit there, never really had a place there, right? He murders a person, he runs away to a land that he's never seen, never known, and even now he's in a very humbled position when he is shepherding the sheep and the herds of his father-in-law because most people by his age already had their own flock. And so I want you to imagine for a moment that all of this is happening inside of Moses at once. Where does he belong? Who is he? Whose is he? Right? All of these things are rising up as he is thinking about the things he is ashamed of to include the ways in which the people who would love him maybe didn't. And so this is what we're couched in. And so he asks, who am I that I should go, Lord? and do this thing. Well, I can remember growing up, my father was a pastor before his death, and I can remember very clearly the season when my dad was being called to ministry. It was not a fun season for any of us. And as I got older, I can remember asking my father about that season. I said, Dad, tell me about your call. Tell me more about it. And he says, well, you know, he's like, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. He says, when I was um, sensing a call from God, particularly to preach and pastor, he says, I could barely read. And he says, and I said that to God. I said, God, you know, how in the world am I going to pastor and preach and I can't even read? Now, I can remember my dad, you know, stumbling over a few words, but there was no indication at this point. Like, this was a surprise to me fully that my father could barely read. So he had been a deacon in the church by this time. He had taught Bible study week after week, but much of what he knew and learned, he ascribed to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, a few courses that he had taken, and he had memorized scripture. And so he says, Donna, I did everything I could to convince God that he had it wrong. This is not it. 
not my call. You got the wrong one. He says, up until the point where I drunk a fifth of liquor and did not even get tipsy. <laughs> he said, that was the moment when I was like, all right. I'll go, God, I'll go. But he says, he remembers hearing God very clearly say this. I will be with you and I will help you. And this is exactly what God says to Moses. Moses, who is in the grips of fear in this moment, right? He just came over to see what in the world was going on with this bush. He didn't come over to go back to Egypt, the place that he fled from, right? He didn't come back for all of this. He says, no, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. And in that moment, God reminds him that you're asking the wrong question. God, in essence, says to him, it is of no consequence in this circumstance, in this conversation, it is of no consequence of who you are. It is no consequence that you have been abandoned. It is not of consequence that you don't know where you belong in your family. It is not of consequence the things that you are ashamed of that you are done. It is not of consequence that you feel like you should be further along like others like you. That is not of consequence in this conversation. God was saying, I will be with you. God does not give him a pep talk. Moses, you can do this. God don't say that. God doesn't even address all of that. He's just like, mm -mm, don't even matter. I will be with you. Hard stop, as Pastor Lisa would say. This thing is not about me or about you. This is predicated by God. This is about who God is. Who cares who I am in this matter? Who is God? Now, I got to give a caveat here because this is not about this is not about us moving and acting in our arrogance around things that we know nothing about, right? This isn't about, you know, the high-profile brothers who want to teach women, you know, how to get and keep a spouse. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being high-profile. Just don't teach us how to get and keep a spouse. <laughs> this is not about the sisters who want to teach about work-life balance when they can afford to be a nanny, get a nanny. Again, nothing wrong with having a nanny, y'all. Just don't teach me about work-life balance if you ain't got to work. <laughs> nothing wrong. Honest to goodness, nothing wrong. I wish I had one. I wish I had one. This is about humble confidence. This is about the right perspective. This is about who is at work in us. This is about God. Who cares who I am? Who is God? So first, in this liberating work, this work that says that all deserve to be free without exception, in order to have the courage, we must know that the question isn't who am I, the question is who is God? And is that the God I'm willing to say yes to? Which takes us to our second lesson, the second lesson I think this passage teaches us is that we are being visited by the living God. We are being visited by the living God, not figuratively, but literally. 
And so Moses goes through this discourse about who am I, and God's like, mm, I will be with you. That's all you need to know, right? And then Moses says, but I still have a dilemma. What happens when I go to your people, the Israelites, and tell them that I have been sent by their God? Like, who do I tell them you are? What's your name? Now, I want us to pause here for a minute. Listen to Moses' language. When I go to your people, as if this is not his God. Your people, the Israelites, who are, whose identity is based upon their relationship to God. Now, let's go back to the beginning of this discourse between God and Moses. When God introduces God's self to Moses, what does God say? God says, I am the God of your father. Moses missed that. God is giving Moses identity. God is situating Moses in a position of knowing who he is. God is saying, I am to your God, but Moses has missed all of that. Moses still sees himself as an outsider. Right? And so Moses says, what do I say to them? And God says, oh, I am who I am. Or I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And then he recounts everything that he said before. Tell them that I am the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that this is my title for all generations. The I am has sent you. And so here we see that Moses is literally in conversation with God. But he's missing the conceptualization of this thing. This is important for us because you all, how many times have we been told, even if we've unlearned it, it's hard to cast it off, that God is in heaven, right? And I'm not saying God isn't in heaven. All I'm saying is that God is here too, right? But how many times are we saying, no, when someone dies, they go to heaven, right, to be with God? But if God is ubiquitous, meaning God exists everywhere at all times in all places, God is ubiquitous. That means God is over there, but God over here too, right? And this is one of the ways in which our unconscious bias, 95% of our thoughts or more, right, are unconscious. These are the ways in which we apply unconscious bias to God. We limit our understanding of God based upon the limitations that this world sets, right? God was literally where Moses was. This is affirmed also by the flame. Scripturally, flame represents the bodily manifestation of God. The bodily manifestation of God. Now let's talk just for a second about what this means for us. So if we go back in Scripture to 1 Corinthians, Paul says what? Our bodies are the temple of the Lord. And if we go back a little further to Jeremiah, what does it say? That the word of God is like fire in our hearts. Fire shut up in our bones. Now let's fast forward again to the book of John 3, right? Or John, the, um, John, the book of the gospel of John starts with what? The word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, right? Now if the word was God and the word is like fire shut up in our bones and if fire is the bodily manifestation of God, that's the same thing it's saying that this is like God shut up in our bones. God, y'all, shut up in our bones. But what do we know about God? God can't be shut up. 
God cannot be contained. God cannot be limited. God must what? Break free, because that's what God is, free. And so to embody and be present, literally in the presence of God, it is like God being shut up in your bones, so you must also be free. It means accessing and unhinging the courage necessary to gain liberation. This was not a figurative visitation. We don't come up in here and kind of visit God. God is here. Right now. With all the access that God brings, with all the power that God brings, with all the call to liberation that God brings, God is right here, right now. But there's one more thing we need to consider before we go to this last point. I don't want you looking at your watches. And that is, in order to access this power of literally being visited by the living God, we must accept it. That there is an invitation, but that we must accept it. Y'all know if somebody show up on your step and you love this person or you like this person or you in the mood to see this person, even if it's a surprise, you don't mind, come on in. But every once in a while, somebody will show up on your step and you really are just not in the mood. Right? Door-to-door -door evangelist, I'm not saying it doesn't work for some people. I'm just saying it, it doesn't work for me. Right? It feels a lot like salespeople coming to pitch you, right? And no matter how many times you, think, you say, I'm already saved, or at least I think I am. I think I am, Lord. Please let me be saved. But in that moment, you're real sure. I'm already saved. I don't, you can go to the next door. Or no, I'm not interested, right? No matter how many times, they just don't take the cue. And it feels disrespectful. And on the rare occasion, and I can say rare occasion because I've had this happen to me, but on the rare occasion that they miss all the cues and they actually say to you, well, can I just come in for a minute? No. <laughs> it feels like a violation of your autonomy to choose. Y'all, God is not such an uninvited guest. God issues an invitation and God waits for you to say yes. God waits for your consent. Now, God's love and grace covers us all, but we're talking about accessing liberation and freedom. This is an engagement. You must choose to engage. God's love will be on you. But if you're going to take this to another level, you have got to be willing to engage. Go back to the passage. You will see that Moses sees this burning bush, but it is not until he turns toward the burning bush that God speaks, not before. There is an invitation. God is here. There is nowhere you can step your foot on this earth where God is not. But we must choose to engage if we want liberation. Which takes us to our final point. And I must give a caveat. This point is for us all broadly. But I need you all to make some room for me in this moment so that I can speak specifically to my brothers and sisters of color particularly as it relates to this MLK holiday and what I feel like God is extracting for us in this final point. And that doesn't mean that, again, everybody won't glean from this. 
but I need this space right now. The third thing we learn in this passage is how to tell the difference between what is a privilege and what is a right. Between what is a privilege and what is a right. Now I must admit, I confess, that when I first read this passage of scriptures, particularly the end part, where God says, you know, go and ask the neighbors and they'll give it to you and it will be plunder, I thought I'd found a scripture justification for reparations. And I'm not saying that's not what it is, but I digress. We're not going to go there, okay? That's not what this point is about. I just needed to confess. But my first year in seminary, I was sent to a wealthy, predominantly white church for my ministry intern that summer. And one of the families of that church asked me if I would accompany their teenage daughter and her friends to a Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake concert of course I said yes who doesn't want to go to a free concert perks of being a ministry intern so I went to this concert and it was good right Christina whom I like is you know belting out in her soulful voice clearly seeing the the overtones of black culture on her on her um, musical gifting and then Justin gets up and Justin, too, has his own leanings and influence in black culture. But then I feel like Justin crosses a line that Christina didn't. Justin begins to bebop. Now, bebop originates first out of jazz and then moves into hip-hop. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching Justin bebop to an audience of mostly young white teenage girls. And he's doing a pretty decent job, but I am on edge because I'm just waiting for him to finish bebopping and to give homage to the people who created bebop. Because he is before an audience who would have no historical backing to know where this came from and from who it came from. Like there were girls in that audience so young that they would never know that bebop originated outside of white culture. I kept waiting and when he didn't, my heart dropped to my stomach. Cultural appropriation is so offensive because it is when one group, usually a dominant group, adopts the practices of another, usually marginalized group, as their own in a very inappropriate way. And it's usually practices that the dominant group has criticized when a marginalized group does it, but they um, praise when a member of their group does it, right? Now, I want you to hear me well. I believe that there is a possibility that God is calling us to a restorative form of appropriation in this passage of scripture. Plunder means the appropriation of cultural heritage. And scholars describe this as being able to look on one culture and to glean healthy things that you need to make your life better from that culture. Now this is for us all, right? This idea that we can see how others live and we can see what's missing in our life and we can desire, right, to have that thing. Now Moses, y'all, pay attention was born in slavery, but grew up in a semblance of privilege. 
And I find it very interesting that Moses, when he first saw that burning bush, was not afraid. Because I would have been hightailing it out of there. I don't know what that is, but I'm not approaching it, especially not by myself. Right? Moses was inquisitive first. Fear and hesitation was not his first response. As a matter of fact, fear didn't come up until he discovered that it was God and he had learned that God, you know, looking on God would make you die. Right? That's when he started to get scared. But he had no problem approaching the invitation that God extended. You all, I believe that is because he grew up in privilege. He had not been taught to hesitate when opportunities come, to second guess and to question when opportunities came. You all, one of my college professors said that his wife is one of the most privileged black people he ever seen in his life. That he has seen her walk into stores and be followed by people in the store and she is completely oblivious to it. And that's when I realized that some things that others have in this world and in this nation in particular are not privileges but they are rights. That she should be able to walk into a store and not have to think twice about whether or not someone is judging her character based upon the color of her skin or the way that she is dressed. That is not a privilege. That is a right. It is a privilege for everyone to have access to mental, emotional health and safety, physical safety, good health care, good education, fresh food. Those are rights, not privileges. That perhaps we are being invited to tell the difference between what is a privilege and what is a right. Now, I don't want to make light of how often I know I experience these things on a daily basis. So I know it is inundating and that sometimes you're just bound to get exhausted. But what I am saying is that there is a place at which God is calling some of us to the freedom of living into what God has given us, what we deserve to be free fully. And that God is also calling some of us to release the false identity of superiority that we have been given, that we also might be free to accept the full love of God, God who gives us security beyond measure. That freedom is not a privilege, it is a right without exception. I read a quote by the Dalai Lama that says, if we are open enough, we can even learn from our enemies. And church, this is what I'm saying. There is so much hate in this world. There is so much hate in this world. And you all, it is so strategic. And it is so unrelenting that what I'm saying is, what if we take a step back and we say, hold up. Let me appropriate that strategicness. Let me appropriate that unrelentingness and let us apply what you all do in hate to our sense of love. That sometimes we've got to come with the same amount of energy, the same amount of passion, the same amount of fervor. Why? Because liberation is a right, not a privilege. In her book, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, Alice Walker was writing about the first time she saw Dr. King as a child. And she said the first thing she thought about him was that, you know, his name was weird and strange. 
But her first witness of him was being handcuffed and put in the back of a police vehicle. And this is what she said. He had dared to claim his rights as a native son and had been arrested. He displayed no fear, but seemed calm and serene, unaware of his own extraordinary courage. His whole body, like his conscience, was at peace. Y'all, he dared to claim his rights. The reason liberation for all of us is something we must talk about and be intentional about is because it takes courage, because you are going against the grain of the forces of this world. And so if we don't learn to ask the right questions, if we don't take seriously that we are being visited literally by the living God, and if we do not learn the difference between what is a privilege and a right, we will remain in bondage and we will never be free. But the God of our ancestors, the God of our fathers and our mothers, the God of Martin Luther King Jr. and of Howard Thurman, the God of Harriet Tubman and Ella Baker, the God of Polly Murray calls to us. And God invites us to unhinge the power of courage that we might ourselves be liberated, but that we might also help to liberate others. That we might help to liberate all, the oppressor and the oppressed, because God wants us all to be free, all without exception. In the name of he who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever, in Jesus' name. Amen.